Friends, we turn now to our second scripture reading for this morning. It comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 21 to 37. Let us listen together. You have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say, you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. So when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother or sister and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are on the way to court with him or your accuser may hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you will be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go to hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that anyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of unchastity, causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not swear falsely, but carry out the vow you have made to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is God's footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let your word be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O Lord, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, so come here. Show us your way. Give us clarity. Move our spirits together that we might be your servants faithfully. We pray this in your name. Amen. I still have the very clear picture in my mind, elementary-aged me, sitting at the dining room table at my grandparents' house in Maryland, my grandmother, whom I adored, and my mother sitting across from me with my suitcase wide open, <clears throat> revealing all of the individual bags of M&Ms and packets of double mint gum that I had packed away after discovering these in a buffet drawer where my grandmother kept a stash. 
in order to replenish candy jars and her purse each time we came to visit. She was never stingy to pull out a stick of gum from her purse or to send us to the chicken, a much beloved container shaped according to its name, in which all of the good candy was held. With this bounty readily available for the asking, I suppose that I thought by extension that I was entitled to all of it. I can still feel the pit in my stomach upon realizing how wrong I had been. Thinking back to this relatively minor infraction still causes me to cringe for the audacity that I had, the embarrassment my mother must have felt, the disappointment on my grandmother's face. As we grow, we are searching for these boundaries, often unintentionally, though sometimes intentionally, not necessarily cognizant we've run up against one until we are confronted by it. Hopefully, when we do, the adults around us are as gracious as my grandmother was that day to not let me get away with it and to witness for me how love can inspire within us accountability to one another. There are various times in our lives when we realize all of the sudden or with dawning understanding that something we have done has caused pain to somebody that we love. Run up against a boundary taken for granted. A violation of trust. An expectation not met. A betrayal of confidence. We speak too soon. We stay quiet too long. We forget to show up. We choose not to show up and assume we'll be granted another chance. It's a dreadful realization when it hits. In my own experience, the body holds it most acutely, shifting it around like a hot potato, but not easily letting go. For days or weeks or years, depending on the amount of pain caused, the fallout, the possibilities for repair. It's a pit in the stomach, or a pain on the heart, a mind that is restless to find a way, any way, to take it back or to restore what once was. The body seems eager to motivate us to seek that repair, though sometimes we try and learn there is none to be had. And at other times, if it's long enough, if enough holes have been worn into the fabric of a relationship, when hubris outweighs humility, we turn guilt into blame to relieve ourselves of the burden. The older we get, it turns out, the more opportunities we've had at them, we learn by experience that it takes time and intent to build trust in relationships. Amen. And it's even more taxing when we try it as community. To try is to quickly run up against our own humanity. The height of joy, the depths of pain, the expanse of anger, of delight, worry, love. My mother told me she never knew how angry she could feel until she had children. 
Though I don't think that was in direct connection to the Eminem debacle. <laughs> but, but also how proud, how full of love and wonder. Relationships stretch us to the extremes of our humanity, and yet loneliness and isolation are worse on us, as evidenced by these most recent years of quarantine and Zoom screens. And so we try, and we hurt one another, and we try again. When we are persistent, we learn over time the qualities of healthy relationships and community that seem to be consistent. Honesty, mutual respect, the ability to ask for and to receive forgiveness, all of which tend to the ground for growing trust and trustworthiness. So it is no surprise that it is these to which Jesus points while speaking to his disciples in Matthew's Gospel. It is these that are lacking when Paul writes to the Corinthian church mired in jealousy and accusation. Be willing, and not just willing, but tenacious to ask forgiveness and to grant it. Speak truthfully, and be truthful to what you say. Regard one another as worthy just as you are, and, it's, and bearing just as you do the image of God. From the earliest days of his ministry, Jesus was working to seed these very qualities in the community he nurtured among his disciples, with hopes that this would carry forward. He was aware that he would not be with them forever. The work that he was doing was the planting, assessing the conditions, preparing the ground, seeding expectations for what it meant to be his disciples, growing in God's love. David has been reminding our children and us, by extension, that we are in this growing season. The time when we are learning and living into what Jesus sets before us as disciples. So, too, his initial disciples had a growing season, a time in which he had to teach them what, his, what made his ministry worth all that they would experience what made their commitment to God life-giving and world-changing. Before his disciples, Jesus addressed the complexity of human relationship. He began with the Beatitudes, setting the context that everything afterwards point to these. All that come after are behaviors of those who receive a sure place in the kingdom of God. Naturally, Jesus turned to the law, that which guided so many of his and their ways of relating, promising not to abolish it, but to fulfill it. But he did more than fulfill it, he extended it. In a pattern that systematically builds on itself, he goes through the most relevant, the, those most relevant, it seemed, to the community of the day. Amen. You've heard it said, but I say, based on the notion of going above and beyond that we teach our children and remind ourselves, Jesus did not shy away from some of the toughest interpersonal dynamics of everyday life. He couldn't. Incarnate and enfleshed, sitting on a hilltop with 30-some-odd years of experience living with family and friends, 
God must be present to what human life is like. Being responsible to one another, Jesus reminded his disciples extends beyond merely following set rules and societal expectations. Instead, it is love that ought guide our every intent. Love marked by forgiveness, by humility, by honesty. Every single choice, every single word, every single interaction. Much like God writes a new covenant upon our hearts, we are called to bring the rules of right relationship into that very God scribbled upon heart. So with this framing, we come to realize that Jesus does not condemn anger in itself. We know very well that Jesus got angry. Furious at the corruption of earnest spiritual practice, he tossed tables outside of the temple as the sellers attempted to commodify what were meant to be offerings from the heart. Anger that wells up from love, from a broken heart that knows we can be better. Anger at injustice, anger at abuse, anger that is bound up with love and hope and propels movements that are restorative rather than retributive, that make right rather than revenge. Yet more often, in our daily interactions, anger leads eagerly to spite. Likewise, in taking up brokenness in covenantal relationships, Jesus did not deny divorce, but rather pointed to the transactional nature of patriarchal values that cheapens one human being in relationship to another. It is quite simply the denial of one of another as human beings, the woman as a commodity to have or to dismiss. No right relationship can be nurtured in this circumstance where one understands himself as having ownership over another, as having more of a claim of humanity over another. It is the sin that permits the most evil in our relationships, both intimate and societal, and that which has caused the most damage to our collective trust. We are held as a people of God to a high standard of accountability to one another in love, asked to do it not for our own gain or because rules and norms tell us, but because it blesses the world and brings us nearer to the kingdom of God. There are no perfect examples of this outside of Christ himself, but we can point to where we have tried in big ways and how even the aspirations of these seed the possibility of blessing. The Truth and Reconciliation Commissions in South Africa, continuing movements for civil rights, the growing call for reparations in the United States, the Me Too movement. Each of these imperfect and messy, but striving examples of how we hold one another accountable to honesty, to forgiveness, and to truth-telling, 
accountable to the impacts of violence wrought through systemic racism and disenfranchisement and discrimination, accountable to the impacts of treating one another as commodities to be transferred without consideration of the full humanity of each. Quite simply, accountable to the image of God we each bear. At the heart of each of these seems to be a willingness of trust, to trust one another with stories of pain and desire for repair. While listening to the radio this week, filled with tearful, dreadful, heart-rending stories shared from the devastation in Turkey and Syria, following the massive earthquakes there, I heard an interview with Turkish author Alif Shafak. Though she now lives abroad, she grew up in Turkey, and amid moments so fraught with sorrow she could barely speak, she was able to sum up her hope for her country and for its global neighbors. She said, my point is, as citizens of humanity, wherever we happen to be across the world, we cannot remain indifferent. We cannot be disconnected from each other's stories and sorrows. Blessed are those who love their neighbor as they love themselves. This is what we mean when we talk about the radical love that Jesus lived and calls us to. While it feels at times unreachable beyond our capacity, we know it is not. Discipleship asks of us more than we often feel capable of, period. It is an aspirational act to have faith and to daily strive for it. A willingness to engage the world and our relationships in it with trust that the good is inherent. That God has given us all that we need to love just as God does. Blessed are those who love as God does, with forgiveness, with humility, with honesty. And blessed are the communities in which this love lives, messy and imperfect, but striving to remain accountable to the beloved image that we all bear. Amen. Amen.